Okay, let me, while I'm up here, take this opportunity to introduce our guest speaker, um, and then we'll have scripture reading, and then he'll come and share the message. But Pastor Steve Allen, it's not the first time he's been here. He's been here a few times with us, and we get blessed every time he comes to share. Uh, since 2000, the year 2000, uh, he's been the church planting missionary catalyst. Right? Fancy name uh, for a uh, important job, important uh, responsibility and mission that he has uh, as helping churches like ours to uh, grow, mature, multiply, and uh, plant if the Lord uh, leads. And so he's been doing that. Uh, himself a church planter, but also someone who helps train church planters and start churches in that manner. So um, he works officially for the North American Mission Board, which is the national uh, kind of agency for the Southern Baptists. But uh, I've known him more through the local association, MNYBA, or the state convention, BCNY. A lot of <laughs> of, of, of acronyms uh, flying around and, and stuff. But uh, kind of beyond all that, it's mostly our like uh, coffee uh, gatherings or meals that we've shared over the years. A number of times where we kind of lock heads, lock horns, you know, soft, soft butting heads, and uh, really enjoy talking about ministry, talking about our, our lives, and trying try to talk about what God's doing, how He does it. You know, and it's always a, a blessing and, and, and a challenge, right? So. Um, I'm really thankful that he's here uh, with us. Um, he is uh, living in Jersey. Uh, his wife, Gina, has come uh, a couple of times as well. And three kids, right? Three kids uh, grown. And um, uh, he, they're serving at uh, uh, the Salem Church in Staten Island. They have churches in Staten Island? Is that a, I, I'm not quite sure. Oh, hi, Jerry. <laughs> No, we need churches in Scotland. That's why our church plant is there. Amen. So let's give uh, Pastor Steve a welcome, and then Sam will come out. And Our Bible passage is from John chapter 13. Verses 34 to 35. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Good morning, Compass Church. Wow, it's good to be with you guys. Isn't it great to be in person? I know that uh, you guys have recently started meeting again uh, in person, and so it's, uh, it's something that I don't take for granted. I hope you don't either. And uh, it's a real pleasure to be with you guys this morning. I was sharing with Pastor Daniel that uh, uh, he honors me by uh, inviting me, and, and, and I wish my wife could be here uh, as well so that she could fellowship. I know she wanted to be. She's with my daughter this morning at their church. But um, it is a real blessing just to be with you, in part just to say thank you, because I'm a missionary of this church, as Pastor Daniel shared. Uh, thank you for your friendship, for your partnership in the gospel, even though I don't, won't be able to call many of your names correctly, because it's been since last February that I saw many of you, and actually uh, there were many fewer of you because we were fully, almost fully virtual at that time. 
but, um, but I do consider you a friend and uh, very grateful for your partnership in the gospel. I do have, uh, I did notice in the calendar this morning or in Twitter actually, uh, that uh, church planting emphasis Sunday is today. And I didn't build my message around uh, a church planting message, but uh, again, I just really wanted to emphasize and say thank you for your partnership in the gospel. When I arrived, Pastor Daniel, in 1995 to plant, uh, some of you might not have been born then, uh, when I arrived in 1995 to plant a church in western New York, my wife and I uh, and our 18-month-old oldest daughter, um, there were 250, there were less than 300 churches, I think, in the Baptist Convention of New York. Uh, in the last six years, uh, there have been approximately that many started. Uh, and that's due in large part uh, through the intercession, through uh, the partnership in the gospel that you guys, when you give your tithes and offerings, uh, a portion of that goes to the cooperative program of missions, which enables the International Mission Board and the, and the uh, North American Mission Board uh, to plant churches. And so we've seen more than 200 churches planted in the last six years uh, in the new, in, in mostly in the New York City metro, but uh, in the upstate as well. And so uh, you are part of that. And I hope you feel connected to that. And I hope you realize and recognize that your prayers, that your participation in that matters and that it counts. Uh, and I'm just grateful to God for you. So I want to share with you this morning, even as has already been read, uh, from John chapter 13, verses 34 uh, and 35. And uh, I want to start out by asking you this morning, how do you feel about tattoos? Do you have any? Uh, if you were to get one today, what would it say? Would it have a Bible verse? Would it have the name of a loved one? Um, maybe something tribal. Uh, what pictures would it have? Uh, a cross, a thorny wreath, a heart, a silhouette, a name. Uh, some of you are borderline offended right now. I can feel it. <laughs> so, but I'm neither condoning nor condemning tattoos this morning. I'm just recognizing that uh, they're, they're really trendy right now, right? markings on the body, uh, mostly in the form of tattoos. You also see brandings and painful-looking sort of scars like that. Sometimes they are just like physical scars, right, that tell a story, that tell a story. Usually a tattoo, and I kind of picked that because it's kind of a, an easy illustration uh, for the story that it tells about either our experience uh, or what we care deeply about, um, some event in our lives that marked us, right? And so uh, I wonder, um, a tattoo, in, in, in essence, it, it often tells a story, and it's usually displayed in a visible way, right? Uh, it's usually displayed in such a way as to tell the world, if you will, a story about that person's life. I don't know whether you ever want to just walk up to someone and ask them, hey, what's the story behind this tattoo? or this tattoo, or this tattoo, because uh, you see them, y you know, in different places uh, oftentimes. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm often drawn to, just out of curiosity, to the story that those sort of markings tell. Maybe you see a scar on someone and you wonder the same thing. You wonder, wow, how did you get that scar? I have a scar right here underneath my mustache. I was hit with a pitchfork uh, when I was uh, a little kid. And that's about the only place in, in my face that it could have hit that I survived. Uh, and so, uh, you know, those things tell a story, though. I've got a little, a little check mark right there. 
But uh, in other ways, there are things that mark us in life, right? There are things that mark us, and there are things that should mark us uh, even noticeably and tell a story about our lives with regard to our faith journey and uh, who we are in Christ. And so I want to talk about that this morning a little bit. Our, the markings that we have, that we display, should uh, distinguish us as followers of Christ. I think you would agree with that. They tell a story of his mercy, his deliverance, his grace. Uh, sometimes we call that a testimony, right? His restoration. But surely, I, I, cont- I want to contend this morning that surely no character trait or behavior more profoundly marks the life of a disciple, of a Jesus follower, than that of love. Love for God and love for others. And it seems in this season leading up to uh, the Passion uh, Passion Week and Easter, the Resurrection Sunday, um, that we think about the great love of God for us and the example that he left for us. So now, a quick word about love. We have a very skewed view of love, and I think you would agree with this. Uh, it's not all our fault. Society and culture teach us uh, to love our mothers, love our spouses, uh, love our BFFs, love our pets, love our children, uh, love ice cream. Uh, love flan, love, you know, whatever, love sushi, uh, love the Giants, maybe not, uh, uh, love the Yankees, uh, love the Syracuse Orangemen, or love the St. Peter's Peacocks, right, uh, who are still in the tournament, at least until today. <laughs> uh, we'll see, right? I hope they make it uh, to the Final Four. But we use this same word in English. In fact, we abuse this same word in English, love, to describe how we feel about all of these different things. And we say, when we say we love blank, we say it as if love is largely an emotion or something that makes us feel good, right? And uh, love is so much more than this. And I think in the church, we have a pretty decent understanding of this, but love is so much more than this. And many of the ways that we use the word love are not or barely love at all. Some of you are going to realize this, but I'm going to go through this anyway. Did you realize that in the original Greek and Hebrew languages in which the scripture was written, there are at least four different words that we translate in English as love. Uh, There's eros, which is erotic love, sexual, attractional love for a spouse. We read about this in Song of Solomon, right? uh, We read uh, about storge love, Uh, love for family, maternal or relational love in the narratives of Hannah uh, praying for a child, uh, Samuel, and about Ruth and her love for her mother-in-law. We read about philia love, brotherly or sisterly love uh, between friends or siblings when we think about David and Jonathan in the Old Testament. Agape love is the one we're probably most familiar with, at least hearing about in church, right? Agape love is that godly love, that eternal and unconditional love, that sacrificial love that Jesus uh, demonstrated for you and I when he laid down his life for us. And listen, I want to be really clear. Uh, Even though we translate all four of these very different concepts as love, uh, the scripture does speak about the goodness of all of them. And so they're all created by God. They're all good things. But I, wanna, I want us to talk about the love of God this morning and the love that he intends us to have for him, the love that he intends for us to have, uh, that he demonstrated for us and that he wants us to have for one another. You see, disciples of Jesus should recognize that we've experienced his agape love. Wouldn't you agree with that? 
Uh, you can nod. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. His unconditional and everlasting love. That's, that's what we say it means to be a Christian, that we've experienced his agape love. And this, this realization, it should mark us. It should mark us. It should be almost as visible as a scar or a tattoo or some outward marking. It, it should distinguish us as his followers. It transformationally uh, impacts our desire to love as Jesus loves. Pastor Daniel was just praying about the hate in the world and the, the, the trauma that's caused um, by disagreement and, 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 and by the, 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 the hate uh, that we see uh, perpet perpetrated in the world. And so Jesus says that his type of love will mark the life of every disciple. And I want us to read once again John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, because it's just two verses, but we're going to spend a lot of time there this morning. Jesus says, and in your, uh, in your Bible uh, or in your app, it might well say, uh, it might well be in red letters, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so the main point that I want us to unpack this morning is this. It, what Jesus is saying in these verses is uh, that we, we need to have his motivation for love. We need to demonstrate his method of love, and we need to live out his mission of love. So I've, I've, I've tried to hang them on three hooks that you can remember this morning. Motiva motivation, method, and mission. First of all is the motivation to love. This, this answers the question, why? Why do we love? Uh, Jesus said in these few, in these two brief verses that we just looked at, Jesus said in John 13, 35, love as I have loved you, or because you might translate it. Love because I have loved you. Earlier in John chapter 13, if you were to read the whole chapter, and I encourage you to do this, Jesus has met with his closest followers, his 12 disciples, and he's observed Passover with them. You know, we commemorate that as the Lord's Supper uh, in our church churches. And uh, before we even get to verses 34 and 35, what we see is Jesus humbles himself, and he does the dirty, menial task of washing his disciples' feet. That's all leading up to these verses that we just read. And as he does this, he says to them, beginning in verse 12, beginning in verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. You see, John, I, I, I hope you'll think about this a little bit. John, perhaps more than any of the other disciples of Jesus, understood what Jesus was trying to communicate or wanted to understand what it was that Jesus was trying to communicate as he washed their feet at communion. If you look at the writings of John in the Gospel of John, uh, John wrote about love 57 times in the Gospel of John. You realize they're Matthew, Mark, Luke as well, so there are four Gospels. Uh, John wrote about love 57 times in the Gospel of, of, of John, which is more than all of the other three combined. Further, John, who also wrote the books of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John in your New Testaments, mentioned love another 46 times. Uh, and this is all speaking about agape love. John, in fact, if you look at the Gospel of John, even describes himself in his writings as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Any of you ever noticed that? You ever wondered about that? 
Why does John call himself the disciple whom Jesus loved? Was he Jesus' favorite, you know? Was he, did Jesus really die for John first and foremost? I don't really think that's what John was trying to emphasize by calling himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. I think John, John's self-description of himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved simply, I think, spoke to the fact that the love of God had so marked his life that he never got over it. He just never got over it. He said, wow, God, lo- every, every time, you know, every time he was with Jesus, he had to be thinking, man, I, I'm, I'm, I'm that disciple. I'm that wretched person that Jesus loved, that Jesus drew to himself. And this defined his whole orientation to life. It marked him, right? It marked him such that he even described himself as this disciple, this beloved disciple. Paul, in his letter to the church in Rome, states it this way, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. First John, John himself, says in First uh, John 4, 19, John says, we love because he loved us. And so the, the reason why or the motivation to love others is because we're, very, we're loved. We're profoundly and unconditionally and eternally loved. And in other words, while we were still enemies of God, self-centered unbelievers and defiantly, even defiantly in rebellion against him, Jesus loved us. He loved us by his actions of lowering himself, forsaking his heavenly throne, and lowering himself to, to, to be a lowly carpenter's son upon this earth, by living a life that we could not live, fully pleasing to God, and by laying down his life in order to pay a price that we couldn't pay for our sinful shortcomings. And I know that we're going to be talking a lot about this in the weeks to come. Uh, And it's something to linger upon and to think about. He did all of this in order to make a way of forgiveness for us and relationship with God for you and me. And so uh, John uh, couldn't get over it. And I think we should similarly be marked by what incredible, undeserved love Jesus demonstrated on your behalf and on mine. Now, This gospel, this good news that Jesus knows you and me and yet loves us anyway, this is part of what John couldn't get over, right? John knew, God knew, let me say, Jesus knew John thoroughly, and yet he loved him utterly. And Jesus knows you thoroughly in all your flaws, all your uh, secret sins, and yet he loves you utterly. And John couldn't get over this. As followers of Jesus, this is where our greatest motivation comes from, to love others, is that we're so profoundly loved because we're greatly and profoundly and sacrificially and unconditionally loved by him. And before I move on, I want to share two inadequate motivators for loving God. If we we say that uh, the motivation to love others and to love God is because he first loved us, let's talk about two inadequate motivators for loving God. The first is fear of God. It's fear of God, fear of the consequences for your sinful actions. You know, sometimes we are fearful of God's punishment, of his wrath, of his condemnation, of his judgment, right? Uh, Sometimes we're ashamed of ourselves. We feel guilty uh, and convicted, we say, by our sin, by the Holy Spirit within us. Uh, But you know, fear only goes so far. You know, Will, will fear forever keep you from exceeding the speed or making a U-turn um, or breaking a traffic law? Will fear of getting a ticket uh, 
always and forever? Some of you would say, yeah, it, it will. Uh, but, but, but if I look at the way most people drive in New York City, and, and I were to be completely honest, uh, the way that I drive in the city in, in New Jersey, uh, I'm, I'm not always uh, compelled by fear to obey the law. So fear is an, an inadequate motivator for loving God and loving others. Duty also will not motivate you to love God. And a lot of faith traditions have taught that uh, it's your duty to obey God out of a sense of loyalty, out of a sense of uh, regard and repayment, if you will, for what he's done for us. Duty only goes so far, though, right? You cannot, by your dutiful obedience, earn the love of God, which he freely demonstrated in Christ. And duty will not make you love God or others. It just won't. So fear and duty are inadequate motivators. They're neither sufficient to answer the question why we are to live as marked disciples, as disciples marked by Jesus' love. Um, you know, let me just, one more thing. This is where Satan will so often attack us, and he'll, uh, he'll try to convince us in our self-talk, uh, like the little devil sitting on our shoulders. He'll tell us, how could God love you? Seriously? Do you really believe that? How could God love you? Or you have to earn God's love. And these are false gospels. They're lies. Uh, God's already and forever demonstrated his love for us. And our motivation, our why for loving God and loving others is, uh, is out of uh, just extreme humility and gratitude for his great love. So the motivation for loving Jesus and for loving others is that he is unconditionally and sacrificially demonstrated his love for us first. This is why we love. But secondly, how are we to love? You see, disciples of Jesus are marked uh, by the method of love. We look at the same verses. Let's look at the very same verses. Jesus says, uh, as I have loved you, or in this, uh, you could say, as I... Uh, love others as I have loved you, meaning because I have loved you. You can also look at these verses and interpret Jesus to mean uh, love others as I have loved you by saying love others in the same way that I have loved you. All other forms of love, they're incomplete, right? We talked about those four. All of them are incomplete unless we understand and begin to love as Jesus loves. Eros or attractional love, uh, it's fading with age and interest excuse me, philia and storge love, the relational, uh, fraternal love, they're failing because we let others down. And it's only agape love that is unconditional and eternal. And only agape love hits the mark uh, of true discipleship that should mark the life of a disciple. And, uh, and it, it has to be demonstrated by actions. You see, the Apostle Paul talks about his love for others beginning... Uh, in our relationship in the home when he writes in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verses 1 and 2, be imitators of God as loved children, in verse 2, and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us. John records Jesus' words in John 15 when he tells his disciples uh, in verses 13 and uh, following, uh, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. He says, greater love is no one has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And these things I command you so that you will love one another. And so uh, I hope you see that to knowingly commit to love unconditionally, uh, it's commanded, it's expected by the Lord. It's natural 
uh, for God to expect us to love as he loves. And it's the mark and the method of a disciple. But it's a frightening proposition when we really think about how God loves us, right? We think about how God, how Jesus forsook his rights. He lowered himself, right? Uh, He lived the life that we couldn't live. And he laid down his own life. And it's a frightening proposition when we hear Jesus say in John chapter 15, greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Uh, And what his disciples didn't realize in that instance was he was preparing to demonstrate that very thing, to demonstrate that love. Jesus set aside his rights and his privileges, and he made this ultimate sacrifice for us. And he did it so that we might experience his love and his forgiveness and his acceptance. Um, And to love others as he loves, when we really, really take it to heart, it should be intimidating, daunting, uh, if we truly understand what he's commanding us. It's something we cannot do without the power of the Holy Spirit living within us, to look past the faults and the flaws and the irritations uh, of others. C.S. Lewis uh, talks about the alternative to truly loving one another. Uh, C.S. Lewis, the author of Screwtape Letters and and the Chronicles of Narnia, talks about the fear of love as being something that is destructive to our hearts. He says, love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. And if you want to make sure to keep it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your own selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, your heart will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. He goes on to say the alternative to tragedy, or at least the risk of tragedy, of being hurt because you love someone or something, is damnation. It's the death of love. Elwell and Comfort write, In Scripture, love is not an abstract idea. Instead, love is rooted in the divine nature. It's expressed in the coming and the death of Christ, and it's experienced in salvation and should be so kindled within the lives of the saved, the born again. Thus, life, uh, love is central, essential, and indispensable to Christianity and discipleship, for God himself is love, right? So to love as a Christ-imitating, marked disciple is to willingly and repeatedly lay aside our rights and our privileges, to divest ourselves of our sinful self-centeredness, and to determine to live selflessly. And what a difficult thing that is. John writes in John chapter 3, verse 30, he, Jesus, must increase and I must decrease. Boy, do you ask yourself every day, is Jesus increasing? Am I decreasing? Is your, is your sinful self-regard decreasing? Uh, if so, it will mark your life. It will be evident in your life. And we cannot do it ourselves again. It must, uh, it's something that only the power of God and his Holy Spirit living within us can, can make possible. And so the method for loving Jesus and for loving others as he loves has to mark us as his disciples. Um, thirdly, let's talk about the mission of love, the mission of love. This is why, or this is whom we love. We talked about why we love, the motivation. We talked about how we love, uh, the method. And, and by the way, I realize we're skimming. 
very, very superficially. I'll send Pastor Daniel these notes if if you guys want to dive into any of this uh, and unpack any of this a little bit further. Uh, uh, it's 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 there's 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 a lot in these two verses. The mission of love, whom we love. Jesus says that everyone will know if we love one another. He says, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. In other words, everyone will know if you love one another. And so as Jesus shares this, these words with his first disciples, I want you to think about this. He's preparing to surrender to the Jewish establishment. Uh, and within about a week of speaking these words, he's going to surrender to them and um, be uh, beaten, convicted, and crucified for your sake and for mine. So as he speaks these words, he's being very calculated and intentional uh, with his disciples. He wants to make sure that his disciples understand his mission, that they carry out his message and carry on his legacy. And so Jesus, as he communicates his desire that they love one another, he does so, did you notice, in the form of a commandment, right? And this is another thing that's always sort of puzzled me about this passage, right? You read this and Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, love one another. And when you hear that, aren't you like, wait, did I miss something? It's like, is that a new thing? You didn't already expect us to love one another? I really, as I've thought about this and prayed about this, uh, I believe that Jesus calls it a new commandment, not because he had never required his disciples to love one another, but because now he was preparing to give them an example like never before and to raise the standard for what uh, he called and expected of them in terms of loving one another. And truly, you know, I think we all recognize and realize, we look at our society today and we realize that God's love is transformational. It can be transformational in lives, in relationships, in society, to generations, right? And to communities. If we look at the love of Jesus and the way that he demonstrated his love, love breaks down walls, it heals relationships, it promotes reconciliation. I can't help but think of the... Uh, the, the picture that I saw, I don't know whether it was in the Times or what, I think it was probably in the Times um, a few weeks ago, of uh, the family uh, that was, fee uh, the, the Ukrainian family um, that was watching their neighborhood be blown to bits and their country besieged, uh, feeding Russian soldiers, giving them food. And, uh, and I think in the story it even said that some of uh, the Ukrainian family members had actually handed their cell phones to these young boys driving these tanks and said, call your mother and let, let her know you're okay. Um, just this crazy sort of, what do you even call that if you don't call that some sort of love, some sort of uh, humanly impossible uh, regard for the other? Um, these others who are destroying your home uh, and, and, and forever changing your way of life. You see, according to, I, I want to spend just a few minutes, and I, and I don't want to lose you here, but whom do we, in answer to the question, who are we to love? Uh, I think we have to look at um, what John says in John 13, 35 uh, as having two parts. He says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let's stop there for a second. According to John 13, 35, Jesus commands that we love one another. 
And throughout the New Testament, when you read the words each other or one another, you read them about 50 times. That's pretty significant, huh? 50 times. If something's repeated 50 times, we have a new puppy. Sometimes we have to repeat things 50 times trying to get this new puppy. And, and some of us are about as hard-headed or as distracted as puppies, right? Um, Jesus, uh, the scriptures repeat, this, the, the writers of the scriptures repeat the phrase one another or each other 50 times. And every time that you see this phrase, it represents the English translation of the Greek word uh, alelon. And it refers to relationships between Christians. So first and foremost, uh, Jesus is saying in the New Testament writers, uh, through the words of the New Testament writers, Peter, John, and Paul primarily in his uh, letters to the churches of Ephesus, Galatia, Corinth, Rome, Thessalonica. He's instructing disciples of Jesus, people within the church, followers of Jesus, how to relate to one another, right? And get this, the New Testament explicitly commands, of those 50 times, the New Testament explicitly commands and instructs us as disciples of Jesus one-third of those times to love one another. In other words, uh, one another, one another, one another, one another. Most of the time he's saying love one another. He's reminding us in our hard-headedness, love one another, love one another. And he's expressing it in different ways in Romans 13, in 1 Thessalonians 3 and 4, in 2 Thessalonians 1, in Hebrews 10, in 1 Peter 1, and 1 John. And so I wish I had the slide to show you again. Uh, uh, maybe you'll, maybe you'll want to get a look at the notes. But, um, so the mission of love is clear in that we are to love others in the body of Christ. Can you agree with that? But because it is clear, it doesn't mean it's always easy. Because the same scriptures that tell us to love one another, serve one another, bear with one another, esteem one another, submit to one another... Um, tell us that love is an action word and that usually it involves putting ourselves second or setting aside our feelings about something. We think of love as a feeling and yet usually love is asking, to, asking us to set aside our feelings. And so, uh, again, you see many, many, many confess your sins to one another, esteem one another, encourage one another, pray for one another, be devoted to one another. And I think we can agree that love is never passive if we really look at what the scripture has to say, especially with regard to the one and others. It's, it's very active, it's very demanding, it's a high standard for us. And it's not just something we can do passively. But secondly, right, uh, and we're almost finished, but I want you to see this. Jesus says in John 13, 35, he says, by this will all people know that you are my disciples if you love one another. But he also, if you back up just a little bit, he said, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. One of the primary reasons that we love one another within the body of Christ is so that everyone will know what love is, so that everyone will know what the love of God is. What is every, who does everyone include, right? Um, this is Captain Obvious question, right? It includes those within the church, Jesus' disciples, but it also includes those outside of the church, right? Those who are non-believers, those uh, who are still uh, living their lives apart from God, apart from Christ. And yet we read, uh, when we think about, does God's love include them? We have to go back to verses like John chapter 3, verse 16, where, uh, G where Jesus said, for God so loved the world, right, that he gave his life. He gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish 
but have eternal life. And so we're to love one another, but we're to love everyone. And, 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 and living as though we love one another is a powerful, powerful witness to a watching world. The most loving thing that we can do for an unbeliever is to tell them about Jesus. Would you agree with that? The most loving thing that we could do to an unbeliever is to tell them about Jesus and to show them Jesus so that they, they will also want to be his disciples. We call this the Great Commission, right, in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. We want all, everyone to become followers of Jesus, just like we are. This is the mission of love in a nutshell, and it's the mission of the church that we all bear. But one of the most powerful ways for us to demonstrate that love to everyone who is not a believer is in living it out between ourselves. And even, even while that might sound like a Captain Obvious statement, at least in the scriptures, um, Jesus and the New Testament writers felt like that they had to illustrate what it looked like when that wasn't being lived out in the church. So in Romans chapter 1, verse 27, uh, it means not lusting for one another. It means not judging one another. It means not depriving one another, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It means not biting and devouring and destroying one another. Galatians chapter 5. It means not provoking and envying one another. Galatians 5. It means uh, not lying to one another. Colossians 3. It means not hating one another. Titus 3. Slandering one another. James 3. Uh, not grumbling against one another. James 5. You know, uh, again, regrettably, followers of Jesus, as followers of Jesus, so often we've become just as known, if not better known, for the things we disagree on and for the things that divide us, then for the things, and the thing, if you will, uh, meaning the love of God, uh, which should bind our hearts. And so uh, I hope, and my challenge is to all of us today to live as his marked disciples, recognizing that the mark of loving others is a powerful witness to the everyones of the world. But the mission of love cannot be lived out unless we're committed to living out these one another's. I challenge you to look at, do a study of the one another's uh, at some point. You know, let me close with this. Elevating love, just in summary, elevating love as, a high, as the highest of all virtues in the Christian life. Listen, you can't escape it in the scriptures. It's there from Genesis to genuine leather, um, even fake leather. Um, but... Uh, it's the love that, that, uh, that God has for us and that he expects that we have for him and for others. It's all throughout scriptures. And it's vital that we as disciples understand and submit ourselves to that standard and to Jesus' example. I'm going to have to talk faster. I'm going to lose it right with this uh, passing vehicle. Making, uh, making disciples we call the Great Commission. Loving God we call the Great Commandment. I mean, uh, but loving others is often referred to as the great requirement and being marked by his motivation, by his method, and by his mission uh, to love others is bound up in this great requirement. So I'm, my question that I just want to leave you with this morning is, what story do the markings on your life tell to a watching world? What story do the markings on your church tell to a watching world? Do they say that my God is a loving God like you've never known love, like you've never experienced love, um, like uh, that, that's unconditional and eternal and self-sacrificial? Let's pray together. 
Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you, Father, for, uh, Lord, I trust its power to convict our hearts as it convicts mine. Father, I thank you for uh, the ways in which you've demonstrated your love uh, for me. And Father, I, I, I know that uh, in the depth of my being, that, uh, that that is my greatest why. That is why I endeavor to love others. It's because you've so loved me. And Father, I also recognize that, uh, that uh, how... Uh, living that out can be so difficult sometimes because I'm sinful and self-centered and I want uh, what I want and not what others want. And so, Father, I pray that you would uh, help me, help us to subscribe to your example uh, in pursuing the method of love. And Father, um, uh, Lord, I also pray that you would just help us to see um, the mission of love and to look out at a watching world and to recognize uh, a world that's so broken and, and is looking for hope and looking uh, for examples to believe that your love really and truly is transformational and that when they see the way that your love marks our lives, God, that they will be drawn to you. Father, uh, thank you for our time together this morning. Thank you for this church and for uh, Lord speaking to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen.